1: And welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you again for joining me on this episode of the show. Hopefully you're all hanging in there without the basketball. It's, it's been tough for me, I'll give you that much, but we've got the FIBA World Cup coming up shortly, but it has been hard. To, to sort of been going on with these last few months without Bulls basketball, but that doesn't mean we can't necessarily get on here on the pod and talk bulls because there is always a topic to discuss. And joining me today is my old friend Kevin Ferrigan. We're gonna talk win projections, not only for the NBA at large, but specifically for the Bulls and, and where they're sort of situated headed into this season. We're gonna look at where Vegas has them, where a few analytical models has them, and of course where Kevin has them too. So let's bring him in. Kevin, thanks for coming on, man.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Mark.
1: No, I'm glad. I'm glad you're on. How's uh How's the off season treating you, man? Uh, are you as deprived of basketball as I am? I, I I'm in a different time zone, so when I wake up, I check my Twitter feed. It's about four or five o'clock in the afternoon. Typically, when I wake up in in Chicago, at least, and I see too many people talking about NFL, too many people talking about baseball as if that's actually a sport. And I don't know. I'm just sort <laughs> of hanging for basketball to be back. But how are you in the states? Being in Chicago now, based in Chicago, what's it like to be there? And are you missing basketball like I am?
0: Uh, Yeah, I, I definitely am. Um, I used to be more of a general sports fan probably 10 years ago, but I have really stopped caring about most other sports besides uh, basketball and specifically the NBA. Like, I watch college basketball um, mostly just to see who's going to be potentially a prospect for the NBA. But even then, I'm not watching a ton of games. I'd be lying if I said that I was. And so, like, it's, it's really – pretty much all about the NBA and uh yeah I'm, I'm pretty hard up right now not having NBA basketball um I mean I would be remiss if I didn't say that the the WNBA is on right now but um frankly like I haven't followed it that follow the WNBA as closely as I probably should um and I don't know the players well enough to like feel like I know what I'm watching really um you know basketball is basketball, but. I don't know. With uh, the NBA, I have all these years of familiarity with players and all that history. And with the WNBA, I feel like I basically start from scratch and and learning all that stuff. So um, at some point, I need to to actually dive in and do it, especially to get me through uh, these non-NBA months. It's uh, it, it's rough out here. There's, there's not a lot going on on the NBA front, especially with uh, the free agency stuff and all that wrapping up as uh, quickly as it did. You know, we had Summer League, which I didn't even... Summer League I caught a little bit of, but even that was, like, not too, too exciting. Uh, Zion getting hurt, like, in Game 1 and then sitting out was a pretty big bummer. Um, And then, you know, the Bulls not having Wendell playing and Kobe looking kind of... well. He looked okay, but his jump shot was trash, which made him look a lot worse than I think Mm. he is, but um, at least Daniel Gafford looked good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the upside, I suppose, but to your point, like I I was traveling through Europe during Summer League. I thought I was going to be missing a lot, but ultimately, I didn't really because it was kind of boring, even beyond the Bulls and and beyond Zion. Like you mentioned, he didn't play much, but... Not many of the top picks really played. So, I mean, Brandon Clark was pretty pretty much the only guy really to get hyped about. But, um, yeah, Summer League was kind of boring, but I'm actually kind of happy that the World Cup is coming up. I'm sort of hanging for that. Team USA is down in Australia next week or the week after. So, I'm going to that game. But the World Cup is approaching, so that might help us a little bit through August, September. But, yeah, the next couple of weeks are a bit rough, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I was going to say uh you know the you're not really getting the the full Team USA experience. It seems no, like everybody's dropping out, but uh, but uh you know, N- NBA basketball and live and in person is uh or NBA level basketball, I guess I should say, live and in person is uh is, is pretty good even if it isn't the uh usual star-studded cast that you get with uh Team USA. But uh yeah the the World Cup I think will be interesting um if only because the uh because team USA isn't sending its best um and so that should make the other uh the other countries a, a bit more competitive uh than than we typically see so that'll be interesting I guess
1: Yeah definitely I mean I looked at the USA team today and I was like I was just I was actually thinking myself I really I really hope they do lose (laughs) this is obviously a lot of my listeners are from the US so they probably won't take kindly to me saying that but if you're outside the US (laughs) big world competition on everyone's just rooting against the US at at that point so I would love to see them lose but as I have said said that the Australian team just got released not long ago and I'm not too thrilled with how they selected their players as well so I'm not sure if we're much of a medal chance either but it's just basketball basketball's back and I'm well, not yet, but it will be back soon. So that'll sort of fill me over until we roll around to training camp and preseason and those sorts of things in September, October. But I didn't get you on to talk about the World Cup. I got you on to talk about the Chicago Bulls <laughs> who – I guess it's a new iteration of Chicago Bulls to a degree. At least that feels like that. The team hasn't really changed that much, but at the same time, it just sort of feels like something is different about this team. And I guess it's the the veteran experience to a degree. So I want to talk about the Bulls, obviously, but I also want to talk about win projections and where several markets and analytical models have the Bulls sort of situated going into next season. I brought you you on because you have, throughout your years, sort of covering the league and just watching the league, you've always had an analytical focus to to how the game goes and I, I rather than having me just sort of sit here and try to work out what all these models sort of mean and what they're telling me i thought i'd bring you on to actually make some sense of it on or, or to me at least i'm sure my listeners are much more versed on it than i am but i wanted to talk wind projections in particular with you and um yeah so let's dive into that and i, I guess most people have seen what uh, what the what the, at least what vegas is sort of suggesting. The Bulls will be doing next season. It's definitely an improvement. But the Caesars Sportsbook, for example, has the Chicago Bulls win their winning record at 30 and a half next season, thirty and a half wins. Westgate has thirty-three point five wins. 538's Carmelo has thirty-seven wins. So they're there or thereabouts. And just I guess your initial impressions of that, do you, do you think that the the that Vegas and even five thirty eight, do you think they're somewhat comparable or at least something to what you would suggest. I know you have your model that you you have that you've tracking the bulls in terms of what you expect from them in terms of wins. So maybe you can dive into that too.
0: Yeah, so what I've been working on, uh, it's it's still not a complete project. It's still not complete. Um, I'm still tweaking. Uh, but where I'm at now, uh, I feel pretty decent about. But I, I put together this metric called uh, tracking plus minus, pretty similar to an idea that uh, Andrew Johnson had from he's one of the writers from nylon calculus he's at counting baskets on twitter uh he put together this thing called the player tracking plus minus a couple of years ago back when the tracking data was relatively new and uh there wasn't that much plus minus impact data to to compare it to now we've got about six years of player tracking data on the NBA uh, site so a little bit more uh, sample size there and so i basically tried to do an update to what he had and to incorporate and i'm trying out new variables to incorporate um to get the best sort of metric i can that is based on the tracking data and box score statistics that doesn't necessarily incorporate you know the um regularized adjusted plus minus uh, sort of framework, and under so I've you know put together numbers for uh, the last six years, and then I took the last three years to um, project what guys would look like for this year, based on basically weighting last year basically four times what three years ago is weighted, and then uh, the middle year, so two years ago is weighted about half of what last year would be weighted. Uh, And then there's some mean regression, and then there's an aging curve thrown onto that. So Darius Young, for instance, um, is expected to drop off a little bit uh, because he's 31. Wendell Carter, he's only 20 years old. He's expected to have the largest improvement in terms of his impact metrics for next year for the Bulls, um, just based on his age. And so that's kind of like how the metric is set up. My numbers came out at uh, 34.5 wins, so a lot closer to what uh, Vegas thinks than um, some of the uh, other projection systems. I know you mentioned 538. I think they had the Bulls at... Uh, yeah, they got 30, 37. Yeah, 37. And Jacob uh, Goldstein, he, I think he had either 38 or 39, depending on uh, when... You were looking at his numbers they they changed a little bit uh, because his are his are interesting because he he takes a projection of basically margin of victory and then runs it through the schedule so moves that other teams made prior to the bulls essentially finalizing their roster might have had an effect on what the bulls projected record was um, and I think a lot of folks do it that way some people some places just project a Margin of victory, and then essentially extrapolate from that what your expected win total would be, um, because it doesn't really change that much. You know, margin of victory correlates pretty strongly with win percentage, but a lot of folks now run it through the schedule. But yeah, so my I guess metric right now is a is a little bit uh, more bearish on the bulls than some of the projection systems, but. Slightly more optimistic than uh, Vegas is, and you know, thirty-four and a half wins. That's basically a twelve and a half win improvement on last year, which I think would be you know a pretty sizable jump. But also, the Bulls were super unhealthy last year, so I think they're due for for some improvement just by virtue of that.
1: I guess my follow up question was going to be, what what inputs does yours have versus sort of Vegas and those sorts of things? But you sort of touched on it there and. I guess I kind of like the way you've gone about it, looking at it from a player level, whereas maybe some of these other bigger sort of establishments may just look at it more from a holistic team point of view and margin of victories and running that against schedules and whatever, whatever it may be. But it seems like you've put a little bit more... I won't say analysis, but you've gone into that a little bit more in a little bit more detail where you've gone down to that player level, sort of adjusted it at that player level, what each player's TPM will be to the point where you've rolled that up to a, almost a team level to get to your 35 wins.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think like the way that I am doing it is, is, you know, essentially coming up with an estimated player value and then uh, rolling that up to the team level. I think that's I know for a fact that that's how Jacob does his, uh, he has his player impact plus minus is his sort of player value metric that then gets translated to a team level s- strength uh, or margin of victory projection, which um, th- this is kind of like the hidden secret sauce of win projections that um, is equally important. If not more important sometimes um, to getting this right is projecting wins, uh, I mean, projecting minutes accurately, which is uh, very tricky. Obviously, any injuries are going to throw you off or unexpected injuries. Um, And so you're giving your best guess and you have to make some assumptions around relative health and who's more prone to injury and those sorts of things. I think my projections for the Bulls are, you know, the, the minutes are relatively... I wouldn't say they're like super optimistic. I also wouldn't say that they're very pessimistic. Like, if the bulls basically, if the bulls have uh, an injury year from hell like they did last year, then there are, they're are they are going to be in trouble because my minutes projections. I have Otto Porter, Thad Young, Thomas Saranski, Wendell, Lowry, Markin, Zach Levine, all t- estimated to be playing. At or around 2,000 minutes or more, which is you know uh, a pretty decent number of minutes to be to be playing in the year. I mean, some guys play up to 3,000 minutes if they play all 82 and they're playing a lot of minutes of games. But um, you know, projecting that or as- assuming that would be would, wouldn't be the smartest thing. So you know, you have to project some you know minor injuries here and there. But like, for instance, I have Chris Dunn playing a thousand minutes. Um, Chris Dunn is actually, he's not great by the, you know, the metrics, that I, the the impact metrics that I have, but he's, you know, basically just under a slightly below a league average player. And then, you know, that versus playing a player like I estimate Kobe White to be um, I, I think he's more going to be like a replacement level player because he's a rookie, um, and rookie point guards tend to struggle. Uh, if you replace that thousand minutes of Chris Dunn with Kobe White, my projections would be you know a little bit more pessimistic. I already have Kobe White playing uh, about 750 minutes, but you know if you gave him all the minutes I'm projecting for Chris Dunn, assuming that the Bulls, you know, dump Chris Dunn or don't you know play him very much then the, their projection would actually get uh, worse, which is probably confusing to people because the opinion about Chris Dunn around Bulls fandom now is that he kind of sucks, and I don't think he really sucks. I just I don't think he's a great fit with, with Zach Levine, and that's kind of the issue. But it project, in this kind of system, if he plays less, it, it actually makes the Bulls worse. So that might be, I guess, slightly counterintuitive.
1: No, I mean, and that makes complete sense to, to exactly what you said before, the fact that he's a 19-year-old point guard who is still learning to be a point guard and obviously will be learning to be an NBA player. So the more you rely on him, particularly early on, if you were to trade Chris Dunn right at the start of the season or maybe a couple months in, then you're relying on a player potentially who doesn't have that value or doesn't have that experience. to. And, and if you're pouring minutes into that guy, there's, there's definitely more risk associated with that. So I think that makes complete sense to me at least.
0: Yeah, I guess it's just that all this is just to say that Chris Dunn is 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 not a replacement level player. He's at least, you know, as, as I have him sort of graded out uh, in this metric, he he's more like just below average, uh, which is, you know, I think a lot better than uh, he kind of gets credit for. But I think part of the issue too is that there are so many, you know, capable good point guards in the league. That it makes him look kind of worse by comparison, but he's a you know a decent defensive player from an all-in-one impact metric perspective. His offense uh, is you know viewed as being not great, but you know slightly below average, uh, as opposed to a complete and total disaster, which is I think how <laughs> he sometimes his offense sometimes gets talked about because he can't shoot that well. But, you know, he, he does bring some things. He's probably the Bulls' best or maybe second-best playmaker uh, for others besides Zach. And I think Chris is probably a little bit better, honestly. But, you know, you you could convince me either way with that. Zach definitely – I mean, they both want to score first, even though Chris is very, like, adamant that he's a point guard. He They both are more focused on getting their own buckets than – setting anybody else up but they're you know they're the best that the bulls have i think Satoransky might uh, be better at that than either of them for next year but just going back based on what the bulls have had uh, the last few years they haven't really had that many guys that could break down the defense and and create shots for people um, which also might be uh, a little bit of a an issue for them next year because i still think that as capable a player as Satoransky is He's not a guy that really puts a lot of pressure on a defense. Uh, And so really, Zach is still your best player for that. And Zach is not a elite or even very good passer or uh, setup man for his teammates. Maybe he comes back with that in his bag. He is a guy that has gotten a lot better over the course of his career. Uh, I think he deserves credit for that. But you know, I think if he's your top playmaker, I think it, it doesn't necessarily spell great things for your team's
1: offense. Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly fair. I want to talk about the players in a second because you've obviously broken this down at a player level, like I mentioned. But before we do, let's tell the listeners about this week's sponsor. Football season is here, people. It's time to start placing your bets for NFL and college football. Blue Wire is teaming up with sports information traders and the legend John Price, one of the world's most successful sports bettors. So our listeners are given the chance to make more money on football this season. Go to sportsinformationtraders.com forward slash blue and get the college football and NFL futures play and make up to 15 times your money for only a $99 investment. Last year, Sports Information Traders correctly predicted the Clemson Tigers to win the college football championship, making one client alone $110,000. The year before that, Kurt Presley of Sports Information Traders made $1 million with a preseason wager on the Philadelphia Eagles to win the Super Bowl. John Price and the Sports Information Traders team can guide you on the best ways to make money on future bets and preseason football betting picks. You get all of that for just $99 and the opportunity to make 15 times your money. It's totally worth getting Sports Information Traders betting picks. Sports Information Traders has been featured in ESPN, Gambling911.com, Entrepreneur Magazine, and many more. John Price has been successfully making money betting on sports for over 20 years. Make a big return for a small investment with Sports Information Traders Future Picks. Get started now by going to sportsinformationtraders.com forward slash blue. Again, make sure you go to sportsinformationtraders.com forward slash blue to have your chance at a 15 times return this football betting season. All right, back to the podcast now. And like I mentioned before, you you go down into detail and and look. You've already explained it. The fact that you've also you not only have you sort of just projected what this team's winning wins will be. You've you've said it's thirty four and a half. Well, let's just call it thirty five wins. Which to me, you mentioned, before that, it might be a little bit pessimistic versus some of the other ones. But I think that's there or thereabouts. I think a thirty five to thirty seven window kind of makes sense to my ears at least but like I said you go into the detail where you dive into the players you sort of build up what you think their season may look like to the point where you sort of extrapolate it down to that team level you've projected roughly 35 wins for the Bulls but to do that like I said you go down to that player level and I'm interested to to hear from you how you've or how your metrics have sort of Well, essentially, what they've calculated in terms of which players will be essentially giving the Bulls the most value, and to me, when I saw your list, it wasn't too surprising. But uh, interested to hear a little bit more thoughts as to who you have in your sort of your top five or so, and um, and why you have those players there. Maybe some other names that maybe some listeners will be surprised to hear aren't in the top five, aren't necessarily in there. So,
0: for in terms of uh, both impact per possession and sort of uh, overall value or wins created for next year I have Otto Porter as the Bulls most valuable player for next year Um, he projects to be a very solid uh, pretty good player I I got him at uh, roughly five and a half wins created and then next would be uh, Thaddeus Young and I I think it's interesting so I think Otto kind of has a reputation as being like a, a good defensive player and my metric is a little bit more skeptical of his defense. It has him as basically a league average defender, but brings a lot of value um, on offense uh, as a floor spacer and um, just an overall efficient player who doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So that's where uh, – so that's he, – he's basically a, a good offensive player, average defensive player, which translates to you know a, a very solid uh, – basically like a plus one and a quarter per 100 possessions player. And then uh, Thad Young is kind of the, the reverse. He's basically a league average offensive player and then brings value on the defensive end that is roughly equivalent to what um, you get from from Otto on the offensive end, I think which makes somewhat intuitive sense. He plays more on as a big guy um, as opposed to Otto who's on the wing And, you know, been a a very good defensive player for a long time. And um, offensively, he's not a great scorer and he's not like a a tremendous floor spacer. So uh, that's why he's more like league average. He he doesn't, again, he's another one that doesn't really make a lot of mistakes offensively. He's a, you know, capable passer, um, not, you know, great at it or anything, but he's also not going to kill you and he'll keep the ball moving and make the right play. So, you know, that gets you to about average third uh best player for next year is Tomas saransky. he is uh projected to be a sl- slight positive offensively so a little bit over a little bit above average and very slightly below average defensively, which i think jives kind of with the eye test with him. He's not a bad defensive player but he's also not a super plus even though he's you know got really good size for his position. But uh, he's also, you know, he's projected to play a decent number of minutes. And uh, so he's projected to create about four and a half wins. Thad Young was five wins. So between uh, those three, I guess he had about 15 wins. And then... So, so
1: just focusing on those three players, I think it's interesting to note because we say best players, and, and I guess maybe some fans will have an issue with that when they they, they think of the best players on the team. They'll think Larry and they'll think Zach Levine. Uh, maybe Wendell Carter but those players are sort of down the list and on on your list at least and I don't think that's unfair but I I think that's completely rational in terms of where we think of these players potentially being the most productive players I don't know if we're necessarily saying that Thad Young is more talented than Larry Markman but for next season these guys are probably going to be the more productive player in terms of wins and and I don't know if some fans will find that surprising maybe they won't but when I got your list at least, when, when I saw Otto Porter Jr. at the top of the list, for a number of reasons to me, it made sense. I mean, if we just think back to February of last season where this team completely completely changed its identity, a lot a lot of that had to do with Otto Porter sort of arriving and being the uh, the adult in the room to a degree. And I guess Thad Young and Sadoransky just add to that. And further to that point, I mean, if you think about Otto Porter, if you think about Thad Young and even Sadoransky, the positions they play, the positions at the Bulls, don't necessarily have a ton of experience depth in to the point where the reliance on these players on these players and the minutes that they play will will be heavily uh, productive for the team.
0: Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that is really evident whenever you look at um, any of like the the impact sort of plus minus based metrics is that uh younger players tend not to be very good <laughs> or or not to be yeah. not to be very impact, impactful that um yeah. it, it is uh it is the rare player that comes into the league immediately and is, they can be productive which is different than being impactful right so like kevin durant famously was was very productive his rookie season but his all of his impact metrics were terrible and some of that was mm-hmm. was team context. He, you know, wasn't on a very good team, and uh, so it, everybody was kind of dragged down by the fact that you know it's it's hard to show positive impact when you're losing every game. But his productivity was, you know, predictive of the fact that he was going to be a star in the future, even though he wasn't having that that sort of impact early on. But that's like a story that you see over and over again with with these kind of metrics. So I think it's a it's a It's an indication that there are things that the box score doesn't really capture all that well. That are is a little bit more captured by uh, some of the the little things in this tracking plus minus uh, that I'm using, and also any of the you know sort of impact metrics that have an adjusted plus minus component. So that is all to say that yes, I think Lowry Markkinen is is probably uh, the most talented player. Um, on the roster maybe Zach Levine at least offensively but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's the most impactful Um, and it's also about having impact within a role right so like Otto Porter is his skill set is perfectly fit and right size for the role that he has in the NBA you know he's a a spot-up shooter um, floor spacer who can give you against a closeout he can do a little bit of playmaking in a pinch and maybe in a pick and roll. Didn't really see that as much with Washington, but he flashed it a little bit last year with the bulls because they needed, they were so desperate for playmaking and like guys to be able to do something with the ball off the dribble. Um, and he had that when he was in college at, at uh, Georgetown, uh, but he just hadn't really shown it in a long time. But all I have to say is that like his skill set uh, is maximized and he's able to provide a great, level of impact in that role. Zach Levine um offensively projects to have less of an impact offensively than Otto Porter, which sounds probably kind of ridiculous, but Zach Levine is is probably being pushed to the limits of his skill set and his ability in the role that he has. Like he has been carrying for the Bulls um a huge amount of usage because they haven't had offensive like great offensive players. And this is one area where I think that he might actually, and you know, if you're looking for reasons for optimism relative to my projections, I think Zach has his, a couple of things. Zach has overperformed his aging curve basically every year that he's been in the league. Like his improvement year over year is greater than you would expect for somebody of his age. And which is kind of remarkable because, you know, he came into the league as a very young player and young players are already projected to improve a lot. Um, But he went from being like one of the very worst from an impact perspective players in the league, his first couple of years in the league, to now being like, you know, solidly in the middle of the league and um, offensively, you know, pretty, uh, pretty decent. But getting back to what I was kind of getting at is like, he's essentially being asked to be the Bulls number one playmaker. He's being asked to carry this heavy usage or he has been the last a couple of years and he is not a number one I don't think he'll still be basically the Bulls number one this year but um, with a you know assuming health knock on wood for Lowry Markinen and Wendell Carter um, and the rest of the Bulls sort of like top six guys he's gonna have more players that are capable offensively around him uh, than he's had in a while and I think that that will make a big difference in terms of right-sizing his talent and ability to the role that he's going to be in. I think he'll still struggle a little bit because I don't think he's a number one, but he's not going to be asked to be a number one in the same way that he was the last two years where he was really being asked to do more than he was capable of. So, you know, I, I think that might mean that he's being sort of maybe a little underrated in, uh sort of these projections because they're based on past performance, right? And past performance in a different context, isn't always perfectly predictive of uh, what's going to happen in the future.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that, that context is super important. So we're not sitting here and saying what we're projecting here is what's going to happen or based on past performance, the future will sort of roll out just as it's sort of been calculated out. I think everything you sort of noted there is more than fair. And within that context makes complete sense. And to back up your point, Zach Levine sort of being the number one option when he when he's sort of playing in lineups where he's got Archie Diakno, Wayne Selden, maybe Cristiano Felicio, and whoever you want to throw out there a power forward. Once uh, Larry Markner and Wendell Carter Jr., even Otto Porter Jr. When those guys were out uh, with injury, it's a lot different context playing in a in a in a lineups like that where. You know, your metrics are pretty much screwed, I guess is my point, when you're a player like Zach Levine, who plays most of the season, when you're playing and running outside or running out with those sorts of lineups versus, as you sort of just mentioned, where we hopefully will be expecting him to sort of have more minutes, hopefully with some healthy players in that sort of top six. So I think the perception of who Zach Levine is, maybe even Larry to too, I think those two players, more, probably more nationally, are probably slept on probably more than what they should be, you know, in comparison to some of the other Some of the other players maybe Zach Levine's compared to or not compared to, and and the same thing with Larry Markman. But one other thing that I wanted to ask you about all these sorts of projections, not just for yourself, but maybe just anyone that's putting these sorts of win projections together is how much can you factor coaching into this and can you factor it into all at at all in terms of these sorts of metrics? So essentially what I'm asking is how much can someone like Jim Bortland influence how we sort of base our win projections on this, this not only just the Chicago Bulls, but you know, coaches all around the league. Because I'm sitting here and I'm looking at your numbers, and 35 wins sounds right to me, and and how you've sort of graded out all these players. But I'm just wondering if the range of outcomes maybe change based on a coach like Jim Boylan, who obviously I have a lot of questions about
0: yeah so that is uh kind of the big question <laughs> uh is uh, among among other big questions but that is one of the big questions with this stuff is uh how much do how much does coaching matter, and how much can it impact uh what to expect from a guy i mean to a certain extent, what I was talking about with Zach Levine in terms of uh changing his context this year. Having an, having a uh, an effect on the on his impact metrics, you can take that micro level observation and expand it out to coaching Co- coaches that are really good can provide a, diff- a completely different context for players to play in um, and really maximize what they are and what uh, what they look like. So for instance, uh, I think everybody who was really paying attention, before last season, um, and did these kind of projections, looked at the Bucks and said all of the Bucks projections are coming in too low because all of their historical data, or not all, but a lot of their historical data, was based on the fact that they had Jason Kidd as their coach. What I mean by that is that all of these impact metrics and production metrics are like based on past performance the coaching is almost baked in to a certain extent, right? So if the coach doesn't change, the context, that part of the context doesn't really change. You can expect the relatively the same projections to hold uh, or, or to, for them to be slightly more accurate. But in the instance of like the bucks with uh, going from Jason Kidd to Mike Budenholzer. So going from arguably the worst coach in the league at, with Jason Kidd, who was clearly not maximizing his roster uh, for a variety of reasons, um, the defensive system that they played made no sense for their personnel, and their offensive system skewed three pointers. Despite the fact that you had this monster in Giannis, who had all this gravity with the ball in his hands, and all you had to do was put shooting around him, and he would be able to dunk everything or kick it out to, for open threes. And that was like uh Butenholzer obviously got the buy in and got guys to do it, but it, it didn't really take uh, a genius, I don't think, to observe that they should be taking more threes and that uh running a a spaced out system around Giannis made a lot of sense. Um I don't know why Jason Kidd seemingly couldn't figure that out, but whatever the case, a lot of people that ran the projection systems, you know, still had the bucks as, you know, possibly like A low six, seven, eight seed coming in this year just based on the numbers. But the guys that did the best in terms of like win projections uh, said, Well, okay, that's what the numbers are telling me, but I'm going to bump them up artificially by X percent because I know that Buddenholzer is a very, very good coach, maybe great coach, and they had a really bad coach, and that's going to make a huge difference. Most coaches aren't really bad, like Jason Kidd, or really great, like Mike Budenholzer, most of them are kind of in the middle. I thought for a little while that Jim Boylan might be like Jason Kidd level bad. I don't know if I still believe that, and he's not changing. So the only players that I would be worried about him affecting their performance, really, um, at least from a projection standpoint, would be Thaddeus Young and Tomas Sadarensky essentially the new guys, the guys that are coming in uh, from other teams where they had different coaching. Um, but I, I don't think that he's so bad now. Uh, I think that he got off to a rough start and I think has figured out some things. I And also I think the other thing that I will say too is that I think it was very encouraging that the Bulls hired him some very uh, tenured assistant coaches – that could help him out with some of the micro-level strategy stuff, and even possibly with implementing some bigger-picture strategy stuff. Of we need to, we have a young team that has shooters. We need to push the pace and get, let these athletes get out and run. Um, and then the coach there, the defensive coach that they hired, Rod. Uh, forget his first name, Rogers, Roy Rogers.
1: Yeah, Roy Rogers. Yeah. From
0: the from the Rockets. Um, I, th- I think that you know getting him a, a defensive coordinator essentially will be helpful for him because I think that was kind of his responsibility with Fred Hoiberg. But it's hard to be the head coach and be you know the defensive coordinator at the same time because the head the head coach is like really almost like an executive level position for the entire coaching staff, and then you have to delegate the implementation of your bigger picture strategies and. We'll see how he does with that, but I think from a just from a pure like how does he impact the projections? I wouldn't expect him to be too too different. the The only other thing I'll say is that the aging curves for you know Lowry, Markin, and Wendell Carter are uh, because they're so young do project you know a a pretty decent amount of improvement for next year, and uh, if he is hindering their development then that could be an issue because maybe they don't take the leap that they should um, if he's not doing a good job.
1: Yeah. Everything you've noted there is completely on point. So I still remained unchanged on my view and you may have softened on your view, but I'm still, uh, I'm still Uh, thinking he's a bad coach.
0: I'm trying to be positive. here.
1: Well, look, I'll, I'll happily admit that he's done some change, some good things when the change comes through. Obviously, they've talked a good game thus far. What they've said, what they've done in their assistant coaching hirings makes complete sense, as you sort of noted there. But until I see that change on the court, will, I'll believe it at that point. But I guess that's why I think Jim Boylan, to an extent, is almost the most important figure in this Bulls, this Bulls organization because I think, to a degree, he does hold the key as to where this team heads next season. So I think we can talk about win projections as much as we like, but ultimately... I think, in a in a in a funny way, injuries aside, I think he sort of holds the keys in terms of the range of outcomes of what this team could be next season. So, I want to close on this, and this is probably the most important question that I could probably ask you on this topic. When, when you put together. Something like this, where you whether it's at a player level or at a team level, and you, as I sort of said before, you've come up with thirty-five wins. Let's call it that, thirty-four and a half, which isn't too dissimilar to what Westgate has at thirty-three and a half. Five thirty-eight had thirty-seven, so you, you're essentially in the middle between those. So it's it's a it's it's a number that makes sense to me. But when you when you see your model spit out thirty-five, and then you have someone like C. Red Fred who comes on my podcast last week and declares that the Bulls will be winning forty-four games next season, potentially even more. Do you sort of, sort of put your model in question, knowing that Fred is uh, the oracle of all of all things, and, and he can see into the future? And do you sort of put some question into your model to the point where you sort of want to artificially bump it up to that forty four wins? <laughs>
0: um, well, I'll, I'll say two things. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's forgotten, uh, but I haven't that we do have a bet of $100 that if uh if the Bulls make the playoffs I owe Fred $100 and if they don't he owes me um I, I put that bet out on uh Ricky and Jason's uh podcast a while and it, it took a, a long time before somebody I put it out there to anybody uh and it took a while but eventually uh Fred was was the one to come and uh and, and take the bet on uh but giving uh, given his uh so far his reluctance to pay up on your, uh, bet with him. I, I'm a, a little, I'm a little skeptical about whether this is going to actually go down, even if I, uh, if I win. Um,
1: Oh, that's more than fair to think that.
0: Yeah. Um, but the, the other thing that I will say is that I would much rather my, my model be wrong, uh, and the bulls be better than I think, because, you know, and I got excited when I saw that, uh, Jacob Goldstein's model was, I think relative to uh, Vegas and relative to maybe sort of like talking head perception a little bit bullish on the bulls to make a uh, an unintentional pun and you know five thirty eights model being uh you know thinking that the Bulls could win thirty seven games and be right in the mix for the playoffs you know i I want that to be the case, and i I would love to see you know Lowry and Wendell Carter make a make a big leap especially lowry i think it's this is a really important year for him and if he really exceeds all expectations in the bulls win 44 games i i would be nobody would be happier than me i just you know i just i run the numbers and whatever they spit out um i try to contextualize it and say well how could this uh go differently um what do they need to do for this to to not be sort of Gospel. The other thing is, is that you know my model is not perfect. No model is perfect. You're attempting to make them better all the time, but you know they're they give you a a good a good ballpark. And and Vegas is pretty good at this. If if your numbers are in the ballpark of Vegas, it, it kind of give you a feel for roughly where you should expect teams to be. But I think the other thing to to really always remember about these projection systems is there's a lot of uncertainty built into them. One, they minutes projections are obviously very uncertain good health or bad health really has a huge play in where teams end up we don't like to talk about it that much but it it does matter a lot and then especially if you're not the warriors of the last few years or even actually even like the top teams this year where there's only most of them only have two stars if you are in this environment and you you know one of your two one of your only two star players gets hurt, uh, you're in trouble fast. Whereas, you know, a lot of teams could get away with injuries if they had, you know, three stars on their team or whatever injuries to your top players are always going to have a a big impact on how far off you are from these numbers. The other thing is, is that guys make nonlinear improvements all the time. All of these projection systems assume aging curves that are pretty standard um, but like I said, with Zach Levine every year, he seemingly improves more than what his, uh, his sort of natural aging curve would suggest. I think Damian Lillard is another guy who, you know, by rights should have started to decline already given where he's at in his aging curve, but he keeps getting better every single year. So, you know, these projection systems are only as good as the assumptions that they're built on. I think that. The logic of most of them is pretty sound, and they give you reasonable results overall. Um, but, you know, when you're talking any one given team, uh, there's always reasons for skepticism and reasons that you, you can find for optimism that these numbers aren't destiny. And uh, I think that's important to remember.
1: That is certainly true, and I think that's why you have adopted the, the, the moniker C-Red Kev as well. So I can definitely hear that optimism in your voice when you're talking about the Bulls to a degree. So maybe C-Red Fred isn't too wrong on that 44. And look, I, I'm I'm hoping it might cost you 43 It might cost you $100, rather, but I'm hoping the Bulls get 43 wins because he and I have a season-long bet coming up as well for the upcoming season of 44 or more again. So 43 wins. <laughs> would be ideal you lose your $100 but it would make me happy at least but uh, everything that
0: that would be the happiest $100 I've ever lost if the Bulls uh (laughs) surprise and and you know win 21 more games than they than they won last year I'll take it Uh, I'll 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 sacrifice my 100 bucks no problem
1: I'll 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 chip in half of that a hundred dollars if they do that. I'll, I'll give you fifty of it so that that way you can sort of recoup some of that cost. But I appreciate you coming on and uh, breaking this down with me because it's always interesting not only just to go over our projections of where the Bulls may be headed in the upcoming season, but to go into some of the logic that you've put into it. Obviously, you spend a lot of time doing it. You've got a lot of in points into it. You ha- it's not necessarily just pulling a number out of thin air sort of thing. You actually have put a lot of time into it. So I appreciate you doing that. Where can people sort of keep up with your projections and just your general NBA takes and bulls takes throughout the season where they can, where can they follow you online? Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, Twitter is basically where most of my stuff goes out. I, I have a, used to have a website. Now there's some like weird gambling, uh, <laughs> site that's like squatting on it. Cause I let the, uh, registration lapse. If you follow me at NBA Couchside on Twitter, then you'll be, uh, up to date on anything that I, I put out because that's where it goes out first.
1: Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. Like I said before, um, it's always insightful when when you're on the podcast. Uh, given a, your view, it's a little bit of a different perspective, but it's one that I definitely value. But uh, yeah, thanks again.
0: Yeah, thanks again for having me on. Appreciate it.
1: Okay, Bulls fans, that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the show. I appreciate it. As always, you can follow me online at MK Hoops. Follow the podcast at Bulls HQ Pod. Five-star reviews if you get a second on iTunes. That is greatly appreciated, as always. But thank you for tuning into this episode of Bulls HQ. We'll be back again next week. Hopefully, there'll be some more Bulls content for us to go through. I'm sure there will be, particularly with the, the FIBA World Cup sort of ramping up and maybe just maybe I can come back onto this podcast and gloat about Australia defeating the US in the World Cup. Who knows? Maybe maybe that'll happen. Probably not, but uh, we, we shall see. But like I said, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Speak to you all then, Bulls fans.